This episode of Film Jive is brought to you by Audible.com, the world's largest selection of premium audiobooks and spoken word content with over 150,000 titles to choose from. To sign up for your free 30-day trial, please visit audibletrial.com slash filmjive. Hello and welcome to the Film Jive Podcast. We are recording this episode on June 11th, 2014. My name is Zach. And I'm Andrew. This is episode number 71 where we are discussing Peter Watkins' 1971 film Punishment Park. So Andy, would you please read the plot synopsis for us, which is pretty lengthy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long one. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to edit while I'm reading. The year is 1970. Due to the anti-war movement, President Nixon has activated the the McCarran International Security Act, which authorizes federal authorities, without reference to Congress, to detain persons judged to be a risk to internal security. Various leftist radicals are arrested and face a tribunal of community members who will determine the jail sentence. With state and federal jails at their top capacity, the convicted face the option of spending their full conviction time in federal prison or three days at Punishment Park. There, they will have to traverse 53 miles of hot California desert in three days without food or water while being chased by National Guardsmen and law enforcement officers as part of their field training. If they succeed and reach the American flag at the end of the course, they will be set free. If they fail by getting arrested, They will serve the remainder of their sentence in federal prison. The film follows the detailed events through the perspective of a British news crew depicting Group 637's journey through Punishment Park and Group 638 as they face the community tribunal. All right, so Zach. Yes. How was your your stay at Punishment Park? Uh, Just quickly, briefly, before we get into punishment park i did I, I know we talked about it before we got started but describe if if you had any previous experience or relationship to peter Watkins' movies before you watched this uh i'd only heard of this film <laughs> i'd read about it and i was like "Ooh, this sounds like something i'd like to watch but you, this is a your choice film so yeah um i think i've seen seven of his movies now several of which i watched during the last couple of weeks in preparation for this episode so I I guess I had kind of more of a sense of what this movie was going to be going into it um, because how he constructs constructs his films is very similar. It evolves and changes as he matures at a, as a filmmaker, but typically it's from a, a point of view that is attempting to sort of exploit the role in media in events of tragedy and how I guess cinema can perpetuate this constant sense of displacement of the viewer. And this is kind of, I'm kind of saying this from the perspective of, you know, this is what he calls the monoform, which is sort of a relentless montage of images that already kind of have a predetermined message for its viewer rather than you creator come away with your own message. So I guess he, he's attempting to place the viewer in the action of the film. And that's where I think the, the verite application sort of comes into effect. 
it, it's still very manipulative, just like all movies are, but I guess he's sort of making you more aware of what his manipulation is. Yeah, I think this is one of the more manipulative, manipulative films I've seen, actually. Now, it should I should say, too, before we get into this, um, that because some people believe while they're watching Punishment Park, um, because it's so good at manipulating you to think so, uh, but it's not a documentary. Like, nothing that happens in the movie is actually Wait, something that occurred. Wait a minute, you mean tell me this didn't actually happen? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. God. Punishment Parks were never actually an official form of uh, disciplinary institution. For, so. for hippies. Wow, I thought that's what happened to hippies. I, I suppose you could call it a piece of docu-fiction if, if you wanted to. I mean, I guess the definition of documentary is something that we can talk about later because I don't necessarily 100% endorse that description in its relationship to this movie. But uh, my initial reaction to Punishment Park is that I found it to be a pretty assured effort, I guess, and, and it's very specific in its intent and execution. And I guess what I mean by that is typically most films, I think at least from what I watch today, how they're constructed is can kind of become irrelevant to the narrative that they're telling. And quite often I think there's like a, a lot of indifference in how a shot is framed or, you know, how an image is realized, you know, structure often kind of becomes less specific and adheres to more conventional three act structures. So what I think is interesting about this movie is that it's a film that it has to be told the way that it, it is conceived like the nature of the filmmaking is like a necessity to the content and this necessary to sort of the political metaphor that Peter Watkins is trying to relay to the audience. So you couldn't achieve what the film achieves if it doesn't apply verite conventions and techniques, or if it didn't employ non-professional actors like it does, or even attempts to deviate from, you know, the tribunal and the park to explore the conflict at a, a greater level. It's, it's such a, it's such a finite observation of oppression being afflicted. Um, you know, that I think anything that would be different from this, um, it would kind of destroy the social experiment. Um, so it's very delicate in that way. Um, I will admit that I don't know that it's a movie that I'm, uh, overly passionate about, um, I find it frustrating at times, not just because of the content of the film, but the way that the film is constructed. I think it does open itself up to a lot of criticism because I don't think Peter Watkins wholeheartedly understands the structure in which he's working. I think he manipulates it to his own needs, which I guess you could say is, you know, that is the mark of a great filmmaker if they can manipulate things for their own gain. But um, I think it presents some problems given the the context of the film and what he's saying with the movie. I, I will say that just on kind of a, a more technical level, it is a masterclass in cross cutting. Like, you know, it's a, a film that is constantly yeah, dealing with cause and effect, you know, you, within one setting, you're ex experiencing pure philosophy. And then in another experience, setting you're experiencing pure action the the results of those of the, those philosophies so in that way i think it's 
quite impressive at at least. So, I mean, in its filmmaking, it has marks of brilliance, but then I think there's holes as well. But just as like a, you know, it has tremendous, I guess, narrative momentum. It's a movie that moves and moves and moves. Yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I completely agree with you on that regard. I think on a technical level, I think his job as a director, in that you know, overseeing the editing and your staging and your direction of the actors. I think in that regard, he did a, an amazing job. Um, I felt the the performances from all of the actors, which were all uh, amateurs, were very believable, very realistic, and I thought that was an impressive on his part that he was able to do that. Did you know that? all of the actors in the films are like all the tribunal members were conservatives and all the activists were people that no, I hadn't no, I had no clue. And that might actually explain why they were so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very like, it's impassioned dialogue that feels very yeah. real. And from what I understand, you know, they would kind of just put them in these settings. And then these, these events are just how these sides would interact with each other. I, from what I understand is the people on the tribunal weren't necessarily, as extreme in their beliefs as I'm depicted sure in the film. I, he played yeah. that up to some extent, yeah. but sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I think when you, when the camera is rolling on the people, you, you are, you get this sense that you are watching thoughts enter these people's minds as they're thinking about what to say next. You know, they're, yeah, they're very you. much in the moment, which, you know, is exactly what you want actors to be in any kind of film. And um, I felt that the uh, the scenes in the desert felt very spontaneous. And I I think a lot of times for a faux documentary, I think that can be difficult to achieve, to make mm -hmm. things look spontaneous. But I think he does a good job at doing that. Um, but outside of that, I think there are, I think, logical problems with the movie. And one that I had mentioned to you before we even started recording, why would... Uh, anything like this, any kind of tribunal like this that does this to other American citizens, why would they agree to have a documentary film crew there to shoot what they're doing for uh, national television? It was going to be aired on ABC. I mean, we see these cops that are chasing these hippies in, in, in the desert kill them, and they seem to have no problem with them. You know, when the, the director says, I'm going to show this on NBC, they don't seem to have a problem with it. And especially by 1971, I find that odd and not really logical. Because by 1971, the uh, the general feeling about the Vietnam War was that the Vietnam War was wrong. And that was mainly due to the news coverage of the dead soldiers coming home. Mm -hmm. So I don't see the logic in that then. Since you brought it up, this is something I was going to mention later, but... Um because you brought up the ending with the wait until you're on TV moment. That is a moment that I have a big, a big problem with because I don't know exactly what he's trying to communicate because I mean, in the context of the movie, you know, this guy and his cameraman have spent the last three days watching people die and kill one another. And not once has he done anything to stop it. And yet at the end, he's kind of like, <laughs> well, so it, so by the end, yeah, he's so naively, the media has done nothing more than become an enabler in the mur murdering of these people. And that's where I think he, he comes off as a bit pretentious as if he's on his soapbox preaching is that in a sense, he's doing the exact same thing. And I, and I even have more of a problem with it because that is Peter Watkins playing that character. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I don't know if it if it's an indictment of the media itself or if he really if he believes that the nature of what he's doing within the context of the film is the right thing to do. I don't it, that message becomes a bit muddled for me, I guess. Yeah. I'm not 100% certain what he was even trying to say with the movie in some regard because like I said by 1971 a lot had really changed in regard to the anti-war movement and things like that. I mean, had this film been made in 67, I think it would have been more relevant. Because mm -hmm. the Vietnam War ended in 75, I think, officially. And by 1971, I don't think you could find more than a really small group of people that supported it. Um, I mean, it should be said that not all of the radicals are people that are directly related to the vietnam right it's it's really anybody who i guess poses a threat to the state but they all kind of will have the the distinct connection to anti the anti-vietnam war movement pretty much all any radicals would have that in some form so it wasn't really 100% what for certain what he was trying to say and the other thing was i felt watching this the audience that would see punishment park are the audience that would agree with what he's saying to begin with. So he's almost just preaching to the choir. So I don't even know what he's trying to accomplish. Well, I mean, that that is interesting because that you mentioned that because the movie critically in the United States was completely, um, completely hostile. I mean, right, they, they, the re they resented the, he's he's a, right, which I mean, I actually think is a very is a is a somewhat valid argument. Well, I don't. Uh, okay, why do you why do you say that? You know what? I'm not 100 percent certain why I say that, but I did feel like I because I read that and I was like, I can kind of see that argument because in the same regard, I can see another country saying that same thing about say an American filmmaker doing it. And so it's I think it's like it is kind of like a universe like this is our problem. We should be talking about it, not an outsider who doesn't really understand. For me, I don't know how that's any different from an American filmmaker making films about the Holocaust or the aftermath of Hiroshima or even I could even say, you know, what Joshua Oppenheimer does in The Act of Killing. I mean, if it's really if it's really the problem of the country, then, you know, why I, why isn't anybody doing anything about it? You know, like I I guess well, in, in a way, I, I guess what The Act of Killing is a straight documentary. Whereas this isn't. This is Peter Watkins just giving his thoughts on it. And I don't know if he truly understood what was going on completely. I think it was almost like what he's reading in the newspaper, what he's seeing on the news. And he goes, oh, so this is what's going on. This is how I'm going to. I mean, he, he has said that um, it isn't intended to be an indictment on America specifically. It's It's something that kind of was existing all over the world at that time and that he just used America as the context to express those ideas. Like I, he, you know, he didn't view it as like a measured attack on the political la landscape on the United States. It was kind of the social well, landscape of the as, world. I didn't look at it as like a, an attack on the United States. I actually looked at, and I'm an incredibly leftist person. And I just well, we as, both are. I mean, I, I saw it as just as an attack on the the right, because in a way, I felt that he made them look so bad that that's where I even came up with like he's just preaching to the choir sort of thing. The leftists had every answer to what they had to say. Like, do you even know what a chauvinist is? He knew the exact history of the word chauvinist. <laughs> 
Well, and and to me though, that it's interesting knowing that he casts people who, you know, they do believe the political uh, agendas that they're expressing in the movie. Is that but something that scripted. was purely born? No, he claims it's not scripted. This dialogue is what was born out of this tribunal setting. So if these, I mean, if that is really what that character is speaking in that moment, that's what that person is saying. Can you really point the blame at Peter Watkins for that? If that's what that guy is actually saying in that yeah, moment, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But it just, and that wasn't the only part where, like, where he knew the exact history of the word chauvinist, but. The one guy had a quote from some saint. I don't know my saints, obviously. And the oh, yes, yes, about it, war. It was actually right. St. Augustine that said it, and he it actually goes like this. So that was like my thing is like they have answers for everything. They're continuously correcting the the misinformation. And I'm not just talking like general misinformation that, you know, propaganda might create, but, you know, qu- quotes and things like that. I mean, they're correcting these things, and it's almost like, well, I mean— that's why I almost have a hard time believing that it's not scripted. It goes in such the other it, – it, it's so for the leftists that I, I can't imagine. Well, it almost it, does – it almost does evolve into a piece of propaganda. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel that far removed from like the films of Lenny Riefenstahl are at for, you know, the fascist government of Nazi Germany as what Peter Watkins is trying to do with – the left. And I mean, I guess, see, the one thing that I do have a problem with is the members of that tribunal. They, they, they feel, they don't really feel like real people to me. I mean, the way that he depicts, for for example, that woman that's on the tribunal, she is, she is such an ignorant. Well, the guy that works on the, like in the auto factory, like I didn't even understand any of his arguments that. No, he, uh, he, right. He, from what I understand, I guess this was his first film, but he has gone on to have a pretty successful acting career. He at least wasn't as kind of intense as some of the other people were. I mean, he, he his concerns seem to lie specifically more with, you know, what this would do to his family or whatever, which seemed like a pretty finite perspective in relationship to the torture that they're forcing these people to endure. I don't know. It, it did seem like a strange collection of people to put on a tribunal. I mean, then you have like college professors who you would think, I mean, and this is just a stereotype, yeah, would be would more so. liberal yeah. in well, their Especially because they're California college professors. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Which I'm thinking like, wait a minute, this is here because that's what they were known for even at that time. You know, Berkeley and Stanford, those are in California. They're not. They're not somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, the way he depicts certain conservatives, it doesn't, they don't seem to be very flexible in what they believe. Like, they're, they're hard right people that are preaching for the, the totalitarian regime that they're functioning under, which doesn't, doesn't feel very real to me. I mean, I am someone that, even though we talk about being liberal, I, I have like, I don't really agree with most of the liberal politics in America as it is. Like, I still think liberal politics in America are far too conservative. Well, yeah, they are. Um, now, one thing I did want to ask, I guess, how do you feel about the film being called, labeled as sort of a pseudo-documentary? I mean, do you think that that properly embodies what this is? Like, I, is that an appropriate description of what the movie is? 
And, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's obviously the form that he took for the film. But like you said earlier, I don't know if this would have worked in any other form. Although I do think it would have worked better as a genre film, like as a science fiction film. But I do think that's because science fiction films inherently do a better job being like a metaphor for what's going on in society better than films that just openly state this is what this is about. Because I think Death Race 2000, which is kind of similar to the same kind of idea, is a much better film. And I think it's the point across better. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about, before I touch on it, it definitely has allusions to Death Race 2000. You could draw parallels to Logan's Run, I think. The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is kind of a remake of Death Race 2000. In a way, yeah. yeah. Most Dangerous Game, obviously. Um, yeah. Even thinking about things like now, like The Hunger Games, which isn't exactly the same because both no. sides are armed. but No, it's... but yeah, but the concept of Punishment Park is such a... Like it's a, a universal idea yeah. that the, the, the way that he was presenting it as something that would actually happen, I almost thought was a detriment to the film because it was to the where it was at some point of the film. I was seeing this whole concept is just too silly because it couldn't actually ex- exist in real life. This is kind of a nitpicky thing, but if he's pro- proposing a totalitarian society, architecture in those societies is is about eliminating the role of nature from the equation altogether. I know this is so stupid, but you know, so, so for the film to exist completely in untamed desert, desert yeah. doesn't really, I, I, I mean, I guess he, he's subverting the expectation and I guess he's turning an untamed desert into an controllable environment, but there doesn't seem to be, even on the police end, they don't seem to have a good control over what's going on either. They seem to kind of lose control and their response to losing control is, eliminating these people i'm kind of curious this goes back to uh something you said earlier when uh peter Watkins said that he wasn't making a film condemning the united states yes since the the, the whole point of the the hippies i'm just going to call them uh, is for them to reach the american flag to be free and i mean it is set up where they can't reach it because even when the group does reach it it's impossible for them to reach it isn't that, in a way, condemning the American system that it's always going to hold you down? There is no way to get ahead if you're not already, like, a part of the, the privileged class. The system is set up for you to fail. Yes, but couldn't you say the same thing about any sort of society? In any yeah, way? you could, but he's a foreigner setting it in the United States. If he set this in the United Kingdom, where he's from, then you could say that he's not just saying it about the United Kingdom, but he's saying it universally. But the fact that he deliberately picked another country and really the most powerful country. Well, that's what it is though. I mean, when you go after these things, you pick on, on your biggest brother. Like, I mean, right. So in, but in a sense, then, then in a sense, then he is deliberately picking on the American way of life. But I don't know that. What if, (laughs) but but, what, but what if he chooses to set the film in, you know, Czechoslovakia, like how many, Uh How many people are going to understand was, what he's communicating? Exactly, if it was there, it would be looked at as an anti-communist film. That's what it would be looked at. But I'm saying in any, con- any country where the political agendas or you know discourse is not as on display as – like American politics is something that most foreign – He could have more foreign... science fiction and set it in an unnamed country. 
and had and created a different flag completely. But but then that is see, and this is the same, this the gets same into the same idea would have gotten would have gotten across. But this gets into what his problem is with cinema altogether is that he's trying to eliminate the barrier of artifice mm-hmm. that the audience has in relationship to the content they're watching. Okay. He's trying to force you to become an active participant in what's happening in the film. And when you set it in, I guess, science fiction or in some kind of, I mean, it's in a fictional context, fictional context as Not it is. With. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's also that we're viewing the movie, what, 40 years. Yeah. Like 45 years later. So, yeah. I mean, from what I understand when this movie did come out, there were, there were quite a few students who believed that what they were watching to be real and they would leave yeah, the theater. I, you, you, I still think you get that today with some people. I mean, and not necessarily with something like this, but you had people when like Blair Witch Project come out, believe that it was real. They're the type of people that are susceptible to want to believe. And that's what that's, that's all that, that, that means nothing to me. I mean, all that means is that these people want to believe this because they want to believe at this point in history you know, America was at its worst. I mean, that's the same people that believe that today. The thing is, and what I kept thinking while I was watching some of this, the college students at this point, the people that were going to college at this point in in history, for the most part, were people from upper middle class families. Most of these people ended up becoming yuppies in the 80s and they became part of the system. Those weren't the people that truly cared about what was going on. I honestly believe that. They were just doing it because it was the thing to do. So I think a lot of what like the hippie culture said, I don't really buy what they were saying. It was a way of rebelling against their family. Mm-hmm. They're the same people that are believing. I, I feel they, they were the same people that were being reactionary towards seeing Punishment Park and going, this is real. It's because they want to believe it's real because they want to they they rebel against something. And this is what they're rebelling against, I guess. Or using this film. I don't know. I don't even really know what I was getting at, but I mean, do you think that the like the role of these like Vietnam and civil rights and fema- the the female liberation movement of the seventies plays in the film? Do you still think that that stuff is essentially relevant today? I do believe a lot of what you know the leftists were saying. In my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is still a problem. Mm-hmm. This is still a problem. Now, I came from a very leftist family. I've told you about my family. Right, and I, I should say I came from a very a very right family. Well, my dad, you know, he, he did go to college because my grandfather was in top management at a phone company at Cincinnati Bell mm-hmm. and had been for a long time. So he went to college. You know, we're from Ohio. He went to college in Pennsylvania and things like that. So we came from more of, a, I guess, like a middle-class family. Yeah. But we were very leftists, you know, like I've told you about our religious beliefs. Yeah. You know, my mom's probably being watched by the federal government. Well, we all are. That's just the reason. <laughs> yeah, I know, but she's kind of wacky, my mom, in, in a lot of that regard. But um, so I do believe that a lot of what they were saying were still problems. I don't think they were, their arguments were completely sound, but I don't think like today, like in this third wave feminist movement, I don't think a lot of their arguments are completely sound. And I sometimes think they're fighting for the wrong thing. Mm. I think they kind of get lost so much in like what's like, the the hip thing to fight about and losing sight of what's really important like i noticed that in the third wave of feminists you do seem a lot of talk about like slut shaming 
which to me, equal pay, you know, reproductive rights, rights over birth control, these things, you know, rights about being protected about rape and the society talks about rape. I think those are the things that we should be working on, not about calling someone a slut. I mean, like things like that, I find like, you know, you worry about the small things later. Let's work about, let's, let's worry about these big problems. Well, I, th- I think that though, that directly just ties into the fact that in all reality, we live in a, a rape culture as it is in the United States anyway. I mean, the way that rape is treated. It's very odd. Yeah, and, it's, it's weird. It's... And, and I actually think it's gotten worse. Yeah. But, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because people that don't think rape's a big deal have just become more vocal about it. Right. <laughs> or what. But I, it, I find it very odd and kind of uncomfortable in a way. Yeah, and I don't even, I, and even, um, I don't know. I, I, I think the movie is relevant in the sense that the curtailing of civil liberty, civil liberties is something that, that still happens. Right. It's not something the movie's enlightening us to that we aren't already. I mean, that, that exists today either with, you know, the Patriot Act or it exists with Guantanamo Bay, the whole thing with Edward Snowden. I mean, the nature of what I find so interesting because it still does exist in the United States today is people's perception of communism. People are terrified of that. And that, and, and they don't even really know what, what that is. means. Yeah. You know, it's just because they've been indoctrinated to believe that that's against the liberties of what the United States stands for, that it's a terrible thing. Well, just like even just like small socialist programs. Oh, right. Like, I mean, you know, healthcare. Oh, he's a socialist. Well, why yeah. is that a bad thing? Why, right. why I mean, is being not, a socialist? I mean, well, I mean, every developed country has it. So now what's funny, though, to me in a lot of this, and especially what going to when this film was released, the president was Richard Nixon, obviously, at the time. There, There's a poster of Richard Nixon. They even equate him to Hitler at one point in the film. Nixon is the most liberal Republican president we've had since Eisenhower. <laughs> I mean, he wanted to do universal health care. He wanted to do these things. I mean, he is the most... That's what I find kind of humorous about it. Was he an honest guy? No. <laughs> but he was the most liberal Rep- Republican president, which I think is kind of funny. Today, he would be a Democrat. There would be no way that he could get to where he was as being a Republican with his ideas. I think Johnson was more conser- way more conservative than Nixon was. Do you think the movie is accessible to people who are not familiar with the political climate of the 70s? Do you think you could watch this without that knowledge and still take a lot away from it? I don't know, because at only 88 minutes, I think the film may have been too long still. I think it may have overstayed its welcome. So I think had the movie, say, been like 45 minutes, I think it would have been more accessible to, say, someone who doesn't know anything about the politics of the 70s and wants to watch it as kind of like, kind of like a uh, like an introduction to some of the things that were going on at that time. Like some of the arguments that were happening at that time. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it would have worked. But as is, I could see someone getting kind of bored with it because you can only see people being yelled at by Republicans <laughs> for so long. Uh, before, well, there are plenty of places you could go right now to do that if, well, yeah, yeah. if you wanted um, to. You can, only see, you, know, you can only see that for so long before it's like, yeah, I get the idea. I get what you're trying to say here. Well, I I do think that's where I think the cross-cutting helps a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Could you imagine watching this if it was just one half all tribunal, one half all punishment part? It would have been horrible. It would have been horrible. Because they would have put the tribunal at the beginning, 
and the only thing you could have done is just like fast forward through it to get to the rest of it because it was it would have just literally been the same scene one after another i'm kind of curious because i you know he's obviously trying to push his own agenda here i really felt some of the the leftist radicals were not sympathetic characters oh no like uh, the way he depicts that um joni mitchell type of singer singer? oh yeah and what's sad is that joni mitchell is is a good person right (laughs) you know that's what he's trying to do and it's almost like how you said earlier, he doesn't understand the rock culture. The lyrics for her songs <laughs> were like Weird Al Yankovic lyrics. They were like parroting these kind of songs. They were so ridiculous. Well, again, though, I have to wonder, is that a song she really wrote? Or is that a, a script that, you know, a song that he had written for the film? I mean, that's... Well, it obviously had to have been written down by someone, because there's no way that someone could have came up with that off the top of their heads. Well, no, absolutely. No, well, they, they do... They do stage that to where they are, they are reading from a piece of paper. Yeah. So I guess my, I guess I just question: Is she really a singer? And is if so, did she really write that song? I don't think she's a singer. No, I do not think she's a singer. Again, there's no way to really know that. And I and I have another question because I looked it up and I couldn't find anything about it. But over the end credits, Watkins comes back and he says, you know, one of the people that were in the cast was arrested recently and he's going you know he's waiting trial yeah is that true or did he just make that is that like a is that like a dragnet thing or is that true no that no that is true okay because i looked it up and i couldn't find it and i was curious the very the pacifist guy who you know just he actually accepts his prison sentence yeah i believe that is the the one that ended up being arrested later for a for conspiracy to blow up a building i believe right i think so yeah yeah (laughs) So something tells me he wasn't really speaking from the heart of even Pacifist. Maybe Because he's the one that wanted her to fly. Now, his character is the one that I identified with the most. I will say that. Yeah, I'm, I could I'm see. I could pacif- see. I'm yeah. very pacifist in nature. And his argument where he's like, I couldn't kill another person. I most identified with the uh, the Black Panther guy who gets gagged. What is like? Gagged? America is you know, a bunch of motherfuckers. I didn't understand why he was gagged. He wasn't really any more crazy than any anyone else. Well, I think maybe there was a racial suggestion. Well, there was the other. Thing. There was there was the other black guy that was. That was. They were just getting started. Was... They were just getting warmed up there. <laughs> I was gonna say they let him go. <laughs> By the time they get to the next one, they're like, "We're gagging this guy." Like... <laughs> I don't see any different. But yeah, I was gonna say like the 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 college the college woman. I thought her arguments at first were very good. And then all of a sudden she just flips out and goes crazy and is yelling and screaming at him. And I didn't understand why she flipped out all of a sudden. She she was very cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> and then she just kind of explodes. Is she the feminist? The one that... Yeah, she's the one that's wearing the, like, the military jacket. And she has like the long brown hair. Okay, yeah. Because there's only two women, I believe. Yeah, her and the, and the folk singer, they make out to be like a nut job completely. But I really like her scene where she gets into it with the the housewife woman. Well, I, I liked that was their good at first, exchange. but then, like I said, she just kind of went off, and I didn't. Expect, I liked her being cool, calm. Because other than the two pacifists, none of the leftists, to me, in my opinion, were like I said, cool, calm, and collected. They didn't seem to. That's why I was like, I understand he's trying to show this as a leftist film, but in a way, he's kind of showing them just as crazy as. I mean, he's not. They're not making the right go out and run through punishment park. But they're just as hot-headed and unreasonable as the conservatives. We're sitting here talking about how hot-headed and redundant those scenes can become. I mean, 
in the end, though, I, I do feel most often that two political parties, you know, most politi- political rhetoric, especially in less formal settings, you know, where it isn't two politicians in debate with one another, but it's just, you know, people in conversation in public, it often does kind of reduce into this very um, repetitive, vicious mudslinging that's very... Yeah, well, I mean, I especially agree with that today. That's kind of how the report go. And I and I guess in that sense, when I was watching those tribunal scenes, I did find that to be a very truthful depiction of how, especially in the case where you have, they're completely polar opposites of one another. So yeah. if you had less conservative, less liberal people in, maybe it wouldn't result this way. I hate arguments, so that's, I found it very tiring after a while. Now, I, I do want to get back to, well, first of all, since we spent so much time on the tribunal scenes in the movie, mm-hmm. what were your general impressions of the actual Punishment Park portions of the film? Those were the ones where I felt that he did um, kind of like, he captured chaos pretty well. Because I do think the scenes of stuff actually happening in Punishment Park uh, were, very, were very effective. And I thought he captured chaos and spontaneity very realistically, it seemed like these things were actually just happening. Mm-hmm. I will I will agree with that. But again, I during those scenes I couldn't help but think of like some of the films that we were talking about earlier, like Logan's Run and Death Race Two Thousand, those just inevitably would just go through my mind. As this is a science fiction element in a film that we're kind of presenting as very realistic. And for me it's hard to buy as something realistic, but we are we are willing to accept something like this in science fiction, but in something that is grounded in reality, I have a hard time buying it. Mm-hmm. So at the same time where I thought he did a, a, a good job showing it, I couldn't help but at the same time feel this is kind of silly. Mm. There's kind of an issue that I have with if he's approaching it as a quote-unquote pseudo-documentary within mm-hmm. fiction, I think his he forces his own hand to abandon that sense of logic in the sense that he has the same camera crew and reporter that are able to be on both sides of that conflict. Well, there's actually three sides because the hippies do break up because there's the one, the one pacifist group and the one that kills the one guard. So they're in three, he's in three spots at one time. Right. I mean, how, how is this camera crew able to be simultaneously everywhere geographically with the hunters and the prey, when there's 50 miles of def- desert between these people, yeah, you have to start questioning the logic of the movie. Because then there's the other issue there where he has shots, reverse shots, where you never see the crew. That's true. Yeah, yeah he does. I, I have a quick question about that. During the, any of the tribunal scenes, including when the tribunal breaks for lunch, yes, do you ever hear Peter Watkins' voice? Because that's happening simultaneously as the hunt as well. Uh, so is he in four places at once? No, that that is one thing about the tribunal is there. It is I. You could suggest that that is being filmed by somebody else. Okay, all right. But I'm not sure about when they're outside eating lunch. I do. They are questioned. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But I don't remember if you hear a reporter asking them or not. That's a good point as well because I think at one point I thought well. These two things could actually be happening on different days, but it it sets itself up where once the one group six three seven goes out, six three eight six comes three eight in. comes in. Yeah, that's how, that was my impression of it. Now, 
that was obviously that tribunal. I can't imagine that lasted three days. Yeah, I guess that could be. Yeah, unless they only saw like so many people and spoke with two people on one day, and they spoke with another two and another two. I believe the their costuming never changes or anything like that. So yeah, that's I would, true. Okay. I would say that it would support that that's all happening one right after the other. So I guess you know they're only covering that for one day, but. I have a bigger issue. Like, where is the camera crew going at night? Are they, are they hanging out there still? Are they? Because we never we never see them at night. Does the camera crew have food and water? I mean, what's the what's the nature of their situation? Like, you know, are they going yeah, back mean, to bunk with the police? I mean, the fact that he never shows that is interesting. I think. Well, I'm 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 curious how you mentioned like you know do they have food and water? Does the crew have food and water? What stop? For some reason, this was real, and like I was documenting what was happening. I would have no problem giving the people in Punishment Park that are trying to reach the flag. I would have no problem giving them things with the camera off in secret. I guess is what I'm saying. Like I would have intervened in some way that I suppose the film crew in the film doesn't do. Right, and that makes me want: is he then making a critique on the way media? responds to events like this when they they are filming atrocities occurring they don't step in to try to stop it but i don't feel like he he does enough with that idea to really form a proper opinion i don't know that that's ever really depicted in the movie i mean the only time that that becomes becomes a part of it is at the end where he's shouting about wait till you see on the tv and that and that's the other thing is if he has food and water why aren't they giving him to them? Because clearly the police are not going to kill these, this television reporter. I mean, that was something I was thinking about the whole time. Like you could so easily destroy this footage. footage. Like you could, you could, you know, I guess they still respect freedom of press. (laughs) (laughs) I just, it's so ridiculous. Like why would the police allow you to leave there with what, with the footage that you just saw? I mean, the tribunal footage is one thing, but, when the police are just, I mean, especially when they get to that flag and they just start beating them. Well, once you find out that you can't, no matter what you do, you can't win at Punishment Park, why would anyone in the future agree to go through Punishment Park? Right, which I guess then this all goes back to why would anybody allow you to film this? I mean, I mean, it's not like in Nazi Germany, Hitler invited the American press to come over and Hey, come look at what's going on in my concentration camps. It's not You're gonna love it. <laughs> like yeah, I mean... wait till you get a load of it. Like it's it's nonsensical. Like it's irrational in itself. Well, well didn't it well, well, well didn't Horihito uh, didn't he invite um Walter Cronkite over to spend some time in like their pleasure brothels in China? I don't know about that. I thought he I thought that was I thought that was uh, one of those uh, news across the world shorts or whatever those were called. I mean, that's my problem, I guess, with calling it a documentary is that it's too irrational for it to be considered actual reality. But then I also think calling it a documentary is sort of a slight statement towards documentary film, because I think aesthetically, especially now, documentaries are just as varied as fictional narrative are. It It does manipulate you in a way where you do feel like, at least I did at points where, you know, this... This is in in some regards this is an entirely possible scenario but there's no way that I would ever get to watch it. Right, yeah. If this film was made today it'd be a found footage film. Well, that's what I was thinking about is is it 
is it kind of a an early example, like a progenitor of what found footage eventually would become? Like, well, well, where I got that is that when you were talk talking about some of like the a logic nature of the the documentary film crew and the things that happened, it makes me think of most found found footage films. In my opinion are completely illogical. Like, Cloverfield is an illogical film. If this was actually happening, why would you still be... I'd be running away. I wouldn't want to stick around and shoot it with my camera and do dumb commentary over it. I'd be... I'd be throwing my camera out and running out of there. That's that's why, in the case of the Blair Witch Project, they set that up in a context where it completely makes sense. Like, they make a good point as to why the camera would always be rolling. Yeah, and that relates to this film and, like, who would let why would you let these people document what's happening here why wouldn't the police do anything why isn't the film crew doing anything other than just filming it i mean it's the same kind of it's the same problem that found footage films like cloverfield have i mean there you you can't explain it that they need to have they need to use this style to get their point across or they feel they need to use the style to get their point across. But if you think logically about how they're using the style, it doesn't make sense. So I guess they want the audience not to question it or never even think of these questions. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't I don't want to say that they're hoping that the audience is stupid, but I guess they're hoping that the audience gets caught up enough in it where these questions don't come up. But in a way, I mean, they're, they're impossible not to arise when you're watching it. Because I was thinking the same thing through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think um, the role of the camera is a big, it's a huge element in how he convinces and provokes you. I mean, I think whether we're aware of it or not, when you typically when you watch a movie, a, a, a camera is staged in a location to capture the action. So it's it's able to anticipate and remain with the actions or the actor within the environment. In all of his movies that I've seen, something that I really like a lot is that he's he's able to evoke documentary concept because his camera doesn't anticipate action. Like where I think for me, the movie becomes so involving it's Oh, the camera is always reacting rather in rather than being in possession of an action. So it eliminates this idea that the film is actually been staged and rehearsed and recreated over a series of multiple takes, which is something that I'm curious about is does Peter Watkins just cover these actions with multiple cameras or does he cover them and then go back, pick up inserts? Does he have actors re replay dialogue over and over again? What's the production process that he chooses? Because when watching it, I mean, and this is why I think the movie what I like about it, it, it feels like he's he's got it all at once. He's able to replicate the sort of spontaneity that you get with documentary, and I like that about it. And it's yeah, also no, I, I completely agree with you yeah, in that regard. And even getting back to his politics and things like that, I, you know, I I do look at it as a very angry movie, and I actually I like that it's angry. I mean, I I like filmmakers who. They love to. Sh- they want to shove it down your face, their their perspective, and force you to confront with what they're communicating. Because I think too much of it, too often, things are 
social statements in films are too passive or passive aggressive. They aren't direct enough. And I really like that it, I like the minimal production design of it. He He's kind of applying the Carl Dreyer theory of um, evidence of things not seen. And I'm going to, this is all paraphrasing. I don't think this is exactly what it says, but what that is, is it's something along the lines that objects and rooms embody the feelings of the characters within them. Anything in a location which doesn't directly speak to the emotion should be removed, even if it would belong in that space in reality. So in that, so in the way that because you're stripping it down, things become more real because they're the reality of the character who you're experiencing things through. Um, for me, the tent starts to embody the psychology of, of the people on trial because it's, it's unbalanced. It's warm, worn down. It seems like it's kind of teetering in the wind a little bit. Um, I, I, I think the movie, it, it does very well in creating this extreme atmosphere of, of persecution. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think like the diegetic sound in the film really goes to that. Oh, well, the, that's used really well. I mean, the sound just creates a huge scope. Like this movie seems like it's existing in a world that's just like constantly at war. I mean, he's, which makes me wonder, you know, there's all these bombs, gunshots going on. I mean, this suggestion of like a very violent environment beyond just this desert, you know? So it makes me wonder is, is it worth fighting for all this to live in a world that just seems to be destroying itself? Yeah, I kind of had that same thought throughout the movie. And I think my will to live, if I was running through Punishment Park, would have probably been pretty low. I think I would have accepted death relatively easy. So you wouldn't have been one of the ones to retaliate and fight back? No, I don't think I would have been. I think I just would have. Uh, taken it and died to be honest with you because it's almost if this is where you're if this is where the world is i think there's really no going back in yeah. a way um this is completely um this doesn't have to be part of the part of the show but um about punishment park i also liked that it was an angry film i agree with you a lot of films aren't angry what do you think what film do you think like i said this doesn't have to be part of it i'm just curious what film do you think did did it better in being angry about the social ills at the time, Punishment Park or Night of the Living Dead, because they're pretty much about the same thing. Oh, well, I think Night of the Living Dead's a better film than I think, this. and I think they make their their case a lot better. Yeah, I I mean, I even was thinking uh, when I said that I was thinking of Spike Lee, who I like a lot, who's very mm-hmm. aggressive. Something I I guess I could complain about, even though I really like the technique and how he uses the camera and what the camera suggests because the the philosophies and the political ideologies kind of start to just mesh into greek choruses that are just kind of repeating the same things it does become more of a film about the way that it's made rather than what it's saying what it like the yeah. technique that he applies like i was much more interested in you know he frequently frames a composition with the police in a position of power where they're aiming a gun yeah. And then the camera will shift over and reveal a member of the oppressed in their sights. So he's constantly communicating. Like those are the things that I started to become. How is he? Because I think a lot of times handheld photography just becomes 
It just becomes about the fact that it's handheld. So how is he using it to tell the story? Rather than, you know, there are moments where I get angry with what I'm hearing on screen, but it it becomes just very repetitive. And yeah, well, when you were asking earlier about how you were curious how he did how he did the film, if he had them like do scenes over again and things like that, I felt watching that he had to really plan this movie out. That's why I'm impressed with the level of spontaneity because I can't imagine you can make a film like this and be as spontaneous as the film feels yeah. without being just intricately planned out. That's why I don't that's why it had to have been scripted. Because I don't know how you can capture I don't know how you can be so planned out in your shot cuz it has to have been. This is I can't see how you could have captured something that perfectly on you know on accident. And then but let everyone just spat out their own lines or anything like that. That's why I think it had to have been scripted. They claim that it was never scripted, but the thing I was thinking about while watching it too is the way that Werner Herzog constructs documentaries where he yeah. will he will stage entire sequences in his films. Mm-hmm. I guess it's it's a more indirect way of of scripting something. Um because you could script a film without ever writing dialogue. I mean that yeah. yeah. So I mean, the nature of the scenario is scripted in itself because it doesn't exist. So even if he's using non-professional actors, he's they're still delivering performances. And even if you found the most like conservative people in the world play the tribunal, which you already said they weren't as conservative as they act in the movie, you're still not, I still don't think you're going to find anyone that would say that the concept of punishment part is right. I think you would, but they wouldn't be able to articulate like the people on okay. the tribunal. Are. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay. But then I, I also wonder: is Punishment Park something where like only the people that are in it really know what's happening? I don't know. Like, I guess if you have to cart off dead bodies, although they say leave them there, so. So you would have thought we would have seen more dead bodies because this isn't the. This is like what? What group number was this again? Six three seven. So six hundred and thirty six have <laughs> yeah, come so I before. Think if they're if just, they're just leaving bodies around, I think we would have seen uh, plenty of bodies along the way. Yeah, that's a good point too. Because, for instance, when they first went into Punishment Park, did you know what the outcome was going to be? Did you just assume that oh they're not going to survive? I just assumed they were all going to be killed. I assumed that they would reach the flag and be killed. So what happened is what I expected to happen. And the movie suggests that that's what always happens. then where are the bodies like where is the where is the uh evidence in the environment to suggest that you know are they is this the only time they haven't left picked up the bodies i mean why wouldn't why would they ever pick up the bodies i don't know and or do like or is it a use of deception like i mean or do the police not pick up the bodies and they have some sort of like cleaning unit come in and pick up the bodies If there is a cleaning unit that comes pick, picks up the bodies, I do actually think that makes it more interesting because it becomes more institutionalized and in that there is th- there's levels of bureaucracy that go into the killing of these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the cleaning crew picks them up, where do they put them? Exactly. Which makes the end credits of Night of the Living Dead so effective. You find out what they do with these dead bodies. And it makes what, the, the fate of Ben even more harrowing. To know that he's just been thrown on a on a on a bonfire. Because there is this sense of randomness to the tribunal and punishment park. 
which I think is kind of inherent in probably the budgetary limitations of the movie. But you, uh, it, it kind of almost, even if this tribunal is speaking for the government, it does feel like this weird like microcosm brand of justice. And that's where I say like the actual, the way that it uses sound, it expands that. There's more, this isn't just like this one place. Yeah. There's more violence occurring. Going on. But well, because you hear like planes and things, you know, go over yeah. that. So I mean, now do you think the people that were in the tribunal would be the actual people that would be in a tribunal like this? Because like we said, we have a guy that works in an auto factory. There's a housewife. There's a guy that works at a university. Well, do I wonder if really it's almost like, like a jury duty. Yeah, but then how how do you how do they know who's the right person to get for this jury duty? then if it is like jury duty like you said yeah i mean that's i mean that's a good question because even at lunch there you know the one guy says he doesn't really want to be here yeah i was also kind of confused because the one guy that always talks about being in washington dc i was in washington dc recently i was in washington dc recently and the guy that you know he kept saying this to said well this is california you're not even in your own district to do this made me think well are there are there different districts that you that you know are, are these happening in every you know do these punishment parks, are they, or like forms of punishment park in every state? And if so, the auto worker is from Detroit, then he's not in the right district either then. So I was then confused about that. Man, this movie's got all kinds of holes. <laughs> well, I don't know how well planned out, I guess, like the writing process was. From doing the reading that I did, there was a question, uh, statement that Peter Watkins made that that I wanted to ask you specifically because it relates to a movie that I know you love. There's an essay that he wrote called um, Punishment Park and the Descent in the West, which is kind of the subject of it is why a movie like Punishment Park is so difficult to distribute in the U.S. And in the in the essay, which I didn't read the entirety, I've read ex- excerpts from it, he compares his own dis- difficulties with distribution um, and critics to that of Ken Russell's okay. and specifically The Devils, which yes. is uh, one of your favorite movies. And he says that films like, like those are difficult for critics to consider as art, so therefore they end up attacking or praising these movies on purely aesthetic levels. So I found an article that was written by Joseph A. Gomez, who actually has written an entire book on Peter Watkins, Peter Watkins claims that The Devils may be an important film that connects with now, but he argues that few critics saw the connection between the horrors of society depicted in the film and our own. No, they will say that The Devils is a fantastic or a debauched film, to be seen or to not be seen, but they're dealing with it on a completely superficial level which is not taking the real emotive power of the film to its ninth and logical conclusion. A film like Punishment Park, I think, by nature of the earthiness or the crudeness of the roughness or the roughness or the directness with which it is made, circumvents that this first level completely. You just can't handle it, and thus you are on only forced to deal with it on the second level, which is why it's so un- unpopular often. Okay, well, I, I mean... <clears throat> I, I guess my question is... Which is less, I guess, directly to what he says, but 
Yeah. Do you see parallels between this and a movie like The Devils, which well, I've well, never there, seen? There, there, uh, there are parallels in regard to there is tribunal and there is punishment for a perceived rebellious nature for, against the country. That what happens to Oliver Reed? That's precisely why what happens to him. Now they use it in the name of religion, which in Punishment Park they always talk about something being immoral. The tribunal, although I don't know if they're doing that in reference to religion when they're saying this, what you're doing is immoral i think they're just doing it in the grand scheme of what they believe is what what right and what they believe in wrong is wrong which i believe is different than the concept of religion church doesn't really play a role in the discussions i don't think either at any point yeah, it, yeah i don't think it does either so i don't think when they're talking about something being immoral they're talking about religion however the concept of this is being against the state is true, which is why, like I said, what happens to Oliver Reed happens to him is because of the government, but it's because of machinations through the Catholic Church. Um, I think Ken Russell was much more direct and honest in that his film is an anti-religion film. I think in a way Peter Watkins feels that he's equally showing both sides, or I don't think he thinks he's as one-sided as I see him necessarily i think he's obviously showing the conservatives to be bad but i don't think he believes how i felt that he makes them look completely ineffectual in their arguments i don't believe that he feels that he did that if that makes do you understand what i'm trying to say there yeah no no even beyond the tribunal the way he depicts the police oh yeah it's like you know what it reminded me of? I love the the animals. I don't know if I've talked about the band The Animals. I don't know if I've talked about that with you or on the show before, how much I love the band The Animals. I don't think the band, you've talked about like... Animals themselves. Yeah, you love them. Okay, well, Eric Burden's band The Animals. I love that band. And I have, they're pretty, like, they have very sentimental place in my heart because my dad was a big fan, especially their late period stuff, which is very, very much hippie music. And they have a song called San Franciscan Nights which I think lyrically is a silly song. But I love the song, and it was my dad loved the song, and so it's very sentimental to me. And one of the lines, and I'm probably paraphrasing it because I don't know if I can remember quite right, but it goes, Cop's face filled with hate. And I always think that's such a silly line because it is such a black-and-white view of what's going on at that time. Cop's face filled with hate. This cop, he, he's a cop he automatically hates. And I feel Peter Watkins' depiction of cops in the film is much like that line in that song. It is such a black and white view of who the police are. That they're automatically bad because they're cops. Now, trust me, I don't trust the police. <laughs> but I also know not everyone that's a cop is bad. Because I'm not naive. And I'm not a child. But I think his depiction of the police is much like Eric Burden's depiction in that song. It's naive, and it's kind of childish. And I can see how it can rub someone that, say, is a police officer, that may have more leanings to the left the wrong way that makes them more lean towards the right. Because I'm a good person. I don't necessarily agree with everything that you know the police do or whatever. But... That doesn't matter to this group of people. They look at me as evil no matter what. Not everyone that's in the Army, not everyone that's in the National Guard, not everyone that's in the police are evil. 
it, that's impossible. And to depict that, I think, like I said, is naive. And I think it really hurts, argue, you know, it hurts his argument. <laughs> From the beginning, they're nothing but sadistic. Oh, I know. They're, they're, that's, it's the best word to use. They're sadistic. It's almost like they're, they're uncaged animals. And they're blindly patriotic. I mean, that's yeah. the other well, thing like about them. Every every police officer he asks, "Have you killed a person?" Yes. How did he feel about it? No feeling at all. Which now now from what I understand, that is not true at all. Even the most like uber conservative police officer probably doesn't feel that way about if he's ever had to take another person's life. He probably doesn't say no feeling at all. Do you think all soldiers don't feel anything? You know when they they have to kill someone i know that's not true well absolutely i mean i i I know people who you know they they've either repressed that so much well, i know or... i i had a friend in high school that he signed up for military service after high school which we graduated in may of 2001 in september of 2001 september 11th happened so we're in a war something he didn't expect to happen he went over there he fought in iraq he did have to kill people he came home and when he was supposed to go back instead of going back he hung himself he didn't want to do it again. I mean, to act like these people, they they get off on doing this, I think is is such a childish belief, I think. It's just, it's strange to me that as soon as they kill the first cop, things just turn into a blood feud. Yeah. On the flip side of that, that the fact that he has these hippies be the first ones to kill someone is interesting yeah, I thought it was too. And how circumstances, I guess, of I guess what maybe he's saying circumstances of extreme paranoia will cause people to abandon their beliefs in order to survive or what whatever, which I think to some extent is true. When when you saw the cop dead though, did you know what happened? I didn't. No. Well they don't I show actually, it. Uh-uh. They don't show it and they never mention them planning it. Like you never see them planning it. And uh, so my actual thought was was that this guard that was killed was was killed to make the police even more more bloodlust than they already are. But later we do find out that they did do it. Now the interesting thing about that is the group that does it, there is some mention from a couple of them that they are going to fight. But then there are an, another set of them that are sitting there that aren't going to fight. And then by the end, when you actually see them confront that group... One of the guys who is claiming that he's not going to fight is the guy that's firing the gun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that goes in with the one talking point in the tribunal a lot was that America is a violent country. So I don't know if that goes into that, that America is a violent country. Again, is is him attacking America, even though he claims he doesn't. Even though America is a violent country, I understand that. But I, all countries are violent, though. That's the thing. I don't know if that's what that means, that no right. matter what, this is what... America will resort resort to, even though what it really is is that's what people will resort to. But animals in general, because that's what animals do. I mean, when I have three cats, when one wants to play and the other one doesn't, they fight each other. I mean, they resort to smacking each other with their claws and biting each other. I mean, so even animals, which humans are animals. Maybe his best approach would have been to create a punishment park where all countries send their, you know, threats to society to or something where it becomes this multicultural 
event in the tribunal is consisted of multicultural that, people. Yeah, of... I think that would work. Because no matter what he says, he still falls into every cliche that anti-Americans say. America's violent. The American system holds you down. I mean, he still falls into all those cliches. And you can use those for every other country, but the fact that he's a foreigner, but still specifically used the United States, that says all you need to say, you know? And it's fine to criticize the United States. because Yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be criticized, yeah. but so should all countries. I mean, all first world countries should be, well, even third world countries, really. There's a reason why they are. Um, they all should be criticized. No one is innocent. And... I do think your idea of making it a like kind of like a multi multinational yeah. punishment park works better because then it does I feel it does say this isn't like a US problem, this isn't a Europe problem, this is a world this is a people problem, this is a problem with the world in general. The other point to raise with that too is that because the United States is such a large country and it's at such a national level the events that occur in this country reach a wider audience than say the events that happen in France. Like we don't receive yeah. news about the events that happen in France, you know? No, I, but in May of 68 in France was a greater time of revolution, riots, military involvement than anything that's ever happened in the United States. Right. Well, nobody ever talks about France's role in Vietnam and what, Well, no, I mean, that's why we entered Vietnam. It was because of it was a French colony. We went to help the French, and they ended up bailing on us. They're like, "Yeah, all right, you can, you, you're, you're, you're handling it. We're going, we're going back now. Thanks." So that's why I think it it becomes an easier target because it's more exposed to the people of the world. I mean, other other than John Luc Godard, does anyone make films about May of '68? And he does it. And I do think he's right in making it a positive. I mean, what? the rioters and what the revolutionaries did was right. And I think they ended up making France a better place by making it a more liberal country. But I can't think of, and now granted I'm not French, maybe there are more French movies about it. And Godard is, you know, known all over the world. Maybe that's why I know his film, but I can't think of any other films that really tackle what happened there. All right. Anything else to say about Punishment Park? I was impressed with, Peter Watkins' direction of the movie and the acting, but I just thought there were like flaws and a lot of logic problems. I can never say it's a bad movie because I don't think it was a bad movie, but I'd have a hard time recommending it to another person that say isn't into film or even if they're into film, I'd maybe have a hard time recommending it. I'd have to know if they're into say American history or that time time period in general. How many jive turkeys? I'm kind of on the fence between three and three and a half. And the reason why I have a hard time doing the three, three and a half, because I I can think of some movies that I've given three and a half turkeys to, jive turkeys to, and I have a hard time saying that this film is worse than that, than those, because it's so much more ambitious. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I have a hard time putting it so close to four jive turkeys. So I don't know if I have to eliminate it from contention of looking at it, judging it against other films. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with three and a half jive turkeys. Yeah. I actually had a similar problem when thinking about this, just in relation to, I gave black moon four last episode. And I think this is 
a more realized effort than Black Moon. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it three and a half jive turkeys as well. You could say that Louis Mal is a more polished filmmaker than Peter Watkins, and I think a lot of that also has to do with Peter Watkins's the the kind of like genre that he likes to work in is why he's less polished than Louis Mal. But you do get caught up in like Louis Mal. I think is more uh, is a more realized filmmaker with Black Moon in certain scenes. Like I think the the scene with the hawk and Black Moon is much better than anything in Punishment Park. Or the breastfeeding. Yeah. (laughs) It's time now for the listener trivia question portion of this show. Last episode, we read the June trivia question, which Andy is going to read again. The original Toho Studios Godzilla film series is divided into three distinct eras. What are the names and corresponding years associated with the three eras? Have we been getting uh, lots of responses on that one? Yeah, no, nothing yet. I don't think that's too difficult of a question. Do you? No. You could just copy and paste it right you into can look Google. Because right? <laughs> like Nick said, ooh, that's a hard question. In one regard, I guess it is because if you don't know anything about Godzilla, you wouldn't know that. And I imagine most people don't know that. But it's, I mean, in, in the age of, you know, Wikipedia, it's not hard to, to find the answer. I agree. Look it up on Wikipedia and then send your answer to filmjive at gmail.com and we'll be announcing the winner on episode number 73. So you still have, you have this episode, you have next episode, the time between that episode and the next one <laughs> to <laughs> submit an answer. Yeah, you got a, you got a while to go. Next episode, we'll be looking at Roger Vadim's first American film, Pretty Maids All in a Row, released in the same year as Punishment Park, 1971. By MGM, which will be an interesting discussion point when we actually watch the movie, because it seems like it's got a pretty interesting history. Oh, you got Gene Roddenberry writing the script, you got Roger Vadim directing it, Rock Hudson as the star. I don't know how you would equate that to a film today. Kind of like an all-star team working on a film that's pretty forgotten, other than Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. But other than that, it's a pretty frightening film, so I'm kind of interested in jumping in on it. Okay, so you can listen to Andy on the Steve and Andy Meet Batman podcast and keep up with his film-watching journal on Letterboxd. FilmJive can be found at filmjive.wordpress.com, Facebook, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes, where we'd very much appreciate some positive reviews and feedback. And you can get in touch with us by sending your emails to filmjive at gmail.com. So thank you for listening to the Film Jive Podcast. Please tune in next episode, and until next time, keep on jiving.